Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 109. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Hi guys, before we start the show today, I am so excited to tell you about my Fast Track to Flipping Masterclass. It's coming up in January of 2019, and I'm going to share all kinds of wonderful tips, tricks, and secrets to the success of my over 200 house flips that I've done so far. I'm also going to be introducing my mentoring program that we're going to start in January. So if you want to be part of a group, a team, and have a support system in place, and some accountability, because that's what really gets you in action, I know, then go sign up for this masterclass right now at hardhatholly.com forward slash flip. That's hardhatholly.com forward slash flip. Go register and I look forward to seeing you there in January. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. Today is part three of my four-part series. The first two episodes were number one, finding the deal, number two, financing the deal, and today is part three, which is fixing that problem house that you bought. The next episode will be on the flip, which is the resale of the house that you're working on. So today I'm going to talk a bit about the actual process of fixing this house that you have purchased. And there's lots of pitfalls that can happen. So I'm going to share some of my past experiences and give you some great tips for success when you're doing it. So first of all, the most first important element is your scope of work, which people give the acronym SOW. I haven't heard people say SOW, but maybe some people do. So your scope of work and with your scope of work is going to be a detailed or maybe not so detailed outline of everything that you're planning to do to improve your home. And first of all, um, you could include the budget on there and some people will put a lot of detail in there, great detail. Um, and it's probably better to put too much than too little because many disputes arise between the flippers and contractors with house flips over misunderstandings of what something was, whether or not something was going to be complete or included. I myself had a situation uh, a couple of years ago where um, this contractor I had not worked with before. It was a female and she hires out, um, subs out all the work and she got the cabinets in the kitchen and I noticed there was no handles on any of them. And I said, um, they haven't put the handles on yet. She says, oh, well, that's extra. I said, well, okay, I don't care if it's extra, but I need handles on there. Like, how do you not put handles? Um, I know there was a phase in time a long time ago where they had finger pulls, like special ways you could open cabinets with little um, parts cut out of the back of them so you could grab onto them and open them. But that style has not been in for a long time. I was really surprised that I had to tell the contractor that. But and I said, I'll pay the extra, but you got to have handles on the cabinets. It just looks incomplete. And now, at least in Southern California, there is pretty much a standard, you know, of acceptable cabinet pulls and 
um, the kind of handles that we put on. So it's not some big mystery as to what we put on because they might choose red or green or something crazy. Like pretty much everything is like a non shiny brush nickel type finish bar. You know, it's nothing crazy. So anyway, make sure that you have as much understanding as you can in your scope of work with your contractor. Make sure you're as specific as you need to be. Like mine is usually only about 15 line items, sometimes less on an Excel spreadsheet with my contractor that I work with all the time. But if you're new or your contractor is new, I recommend take as many pages as you need to outline in detail things like adding on cabinet poles. Oh, another thing my contractors have often left out is towel bars and tissue holders in the bathrooms. I'm like, well, of course people need and want those things, <laughs> but um, contractors sometimes will leave those out or think, oh, that's something the homeowner should do later, or that's extra. I believe in including those and not making the homeowner put them in themselves. Now, if you're interested in seeing the tool that I created for myself, you can go to the free download for this week, which is hardhatholly.com forward slash 109. If you're a past listener and you get my emails um, every week when I publish podcasts, you probably received it before, but it was a while ago. It was episode 50. So if you're already subscribed to the notifications for the podcast and you get the weekly notice of the downloads. If you click on the downloads, it's episode 50 where you can find this great spreadsheet that I love. And if you're new and you want to go grab it, go to hardhatholly.com forward slash 109 and you can get my link to my spreadsheet there. This spreadsheet has been life-changing for me. It's just a pretty simple and easy. I put it up on Google Sheets and share it with my main contractor who does most of my flips and then I've used it with other contractors too with little to no success because they've been unable to comprehend and use it even though it's so simple. Uh, what I do is I have a list on the left side as you'll see when you download it of the traits and the different main components of the house flip and like it said it's usually 15 or less i also leave a spot at the bottom for extras it seems like every job does have extras and i'm fine paying extra for the unexpected surprises and things we didn't know we'd have to do i'm reasonable i want my contractor to make money and be happy but I also want him to not go crazy on charging me for those extras. So along the left side, it'll say things like drywall patch, rough plumbing, rough electrical. Sometimes we group it all together and he builds it out, um, you know, plumbing and electrical. Like there'll be one line item for plumbing and then he knows there's rough and there's finish. Um, you know, finishes when they're putting the, the fixtures on top of the sinks and outside the tile and the shower and those kinds of things. So we just go down the list, have everything there, flooring, HVAC, paint, interior, paint, exterior, landscape, spruce up, roof if we need it, electrical, just all those line items there. And then going across to the right on the spreadsheet is for each column, um, he likes to be paid once a week and I have no problem doing that. So each column represents um, a week and he puts in there how much he's allocating to each component. So maybe he worked on kitchen cabinets, line item, quartz countertop line item, and tiling in the bathroom, one line item. So you'd have three line items. And then we track it all the way over to the right. We can see how much is left 
on the budget. So the first column to the right of the trades is the budget. And then all the columns to the right of that are when he's billing for each component. So it's a percentage of completion type um, format. And I ask him to send me photos every week because I'm not a, at all the job sites to show if he's billing me for all the tile. I want to see pictures that all the tile is done. If he's billing me for kitchen cabinets, show me the kitchen cabinets are installed. And this has worked really well. And I highly recommend that or something that you design. You know, so it can be something that fits you and your style better. So definitely grab that download. It is awesome. And I wouldn't live without it. I don't pay my contractor on a weekly basis until he puts his invoice in those categories so we can both see where he's at and not overbilling for a particular line item. So one of the big questions that comes up when people are renovating houses and still it is um, sometimes a stressful and debated thing between me and my husband if we're both working on a project is how far to go with the renovation. It can definitely be um, surprise of like, oh shoot, this is going to be more than we thought. Um, once you start trying to put in um, what you had planned. And so my number one recommendation is to consult with a realtor. Um, if you're going to list the home with a realtor, or if you are the realtor, then you have access to the MLS. You need to be looking at comps and seeing what your competition is. You definitely need to know what you're going up against when you go on the market. I always like to make my house equal to or nicer than what the competition is because I want people to choose mine over the others, especially now in January 2019 when we're changing more to a buyer's market and less of a seller's market. It's not going to be so easy and quick to sell homes as it has in the past with the reduced inventory. Now we have more inventory, buyers have more choices. They're going to look for differentiating factors and decide which house to buy, maybe based on how nice the finishes are. So I would consult the realtor that's going to list the house for you, or if you are that realtor, really dive in and look at the comps. And it's a fine line. You don't want to over improve it, but you want to be better than everybody else. Right now, I've got a project where this is definitely um, happening, where I'm consulting the realtor. This is a mobile home, and it's in a town called Carlsbad, California, the home of Legoland. It is a 55 plus, uh, means 55 years and older, senior mobile home community. And we are relisting this home we bought through um, the agent that we bought it through, even though I found this deal through a friend, it's her friend that did it, um, that sold it to me. But I'm really relying on this realtor to know what to do in this mobile home, how far to take it, what people want. And he's a resident in there and he does a lot of the work, I'm sorry, a lot of the sales in there. And he is just a great resource. And since he lives in one of these mobile homes, he is um, an expert on knowing what you can and can't do. We brought one contractor in to kind of consult and we thought he was going to work for us and he has gone dark, meaning he has not responded to calls or texts for a while. So apparently he wasn't that hungry, um, didn't want the work or he just wasn't excited. It was a mobile home, which is a whole different thing than a regular home or is that we say stick-built home compared to a mobile home. But this realtor has been really helpful in that he said get um, he had a great 
company he recommended to do the leveling that was needed where they come in and add foundation support and put some peers in under it and do whatever they need to do to get it level. And also the contractor we had consulting with us originally said, oh, you should drywall the whole thing so it doesn't look like a mobile home inside. It looks so much better. And then when we consulted with the realtor, he said, don't do that. People expect it to look like a mobile home. They're in a mobile home park. They don't care. And even if you use the ultralight drywall, the contractor's recommending, it's going to throw things off with the weight. And you said, don't do it. And I trust this realtor a lot more who's seen people do it and regretted they've done it than I do the contractor that's not a mobile home specialist. So definitely consult with an in-the-know realtor. Um, one thing that you want to be careful is I've seen flippers, including myself, over-improve house flips. We sometimes, we might be working on a house that's not as nice as one we live in, but we want to make it look as nicer, nicer as something we would live in. So you've got to remember you're not living in this house. You need to upgrade it to the right level of whoever is going to live in it. Now, that being said, I've sold um, some homes that are nicer and have higher end finishes than my own home in Palm Springs and also um, Studio City, which is just part of Los Angeles, the north side of Los Angeles. I mean, we put finishes in there that were really high end in some of these homes we flipped. But then we've also flipped houses for, I don't know, as cheap as $75,000 out in the desert. And I wouldn't live in those, so I gotta be careful not to over-improve them. I gotta do what the market dictates that those buyers would like. Another problem that you might experience when you're renovating houses, you might say, okay, we're going to do these things new and leave these things old. Sometimes the old things look really bad once you put new things next to them. I call it the domino effect. Um, like maybe you think you can save the appliances, but then once the whole kitchen is brand new and you put the old appliances back in with everything new and shiny, you're like, oh, can't get away with that. Um, it could be like maybe a vanity. Like sometimes we think, oh, we can save that bathroom vanity. It's going to be okay. Or save these light fixtures or these closet doors. But then sometimes when everything else is new, those things just stick out like a sore thumb. So we've been known to extend our scope of work and our plans further than we originally thought after we're seeing it, um, you know, in real life, like, oh, we can't put it on the market like that. So just be flexible. That's what your contingency or miscellaneous category is for, is for those overages when you have more to do, more money to spend, more work to do than you originally planned. Um, one thing that you can do if you haven't, um, done any house flips yet is practice this by looking and seeing um, in maybe a neighborhood that you want to focus on or a city or an area. Look at the different, I'll call it spec level, specification level that um, the different homes have, like at different price points. And you'll see um, some of the key areas to look in are cabinets, lighting, appliances, tubs and showers. So for instance, with cabinets, in lower end homes, um, you'll, I'll still see the golden oak cabinets that were so popular in the 80s. They still sell them at Home Depot and I'll see them in really low end homes in um, inland parts of California. But in the higher end homes, the most popular things now are white and gray shaker style, which is you know the frame on the flat board, not with 
all the fancy curved arched recessed things that they used to do and um, like 15 years ago. And then in the higher end homes beyond that are really contemporary. We'll have a flat panel and they might even be glossy. So there'll be nothing as far as detail on them. Lighting. Um, I mean, it's funny. I've been in a couple of homes in the last year where I recognize like that's the dining chandelier from Home Depot for $49.99. Like I recognize the basic cheap um, chandelier apartment level, I would call it, or you could probably put it in a house for, you know, three or 400,000 or less, but I'm surprised I'll see them in a house listed for $800,000. And I just think, wow, who are those people trying to fool? You got to put the right level of fixtures in the right house. Appliances, low ends have black and white and the high end of stainless steel. And then they even go for the nice name brands too, like Wolf, Thermador, KitchenAid. The higher end houses, um, like a million dollars or more, at least in Southern California, will often have those really high end appliances. Um, tubs and showers, you have that all-in-one drop-in um, tub or shower for the low end houses. But then once you get a little higher, um, people expect to see tile. So tub with tile above it or the whole thing, the whole shower is tiled with tile on the floor. So just look at different homes online, which if you don't have MLS access, you can go on Redfin or Zillow and look at lots of photos of houses and see what things are selling for and start to get a feel for the different spec levels of the homes and the different price points in your area. You can also, just for design ideas, look on Pinterest and house.com, H-O-U-Z-Z.com. Um, I would be careful to make sure you're looking at um, photos like two years old or less because um, you don't want to be putting in something that was popular 10 years ago and dating your house. And I know like a lot of people don't know what's in style, so those are places you could go to learn what is in style and what is updated I would definitely have your realtor, you know, your listing agent um, be involved along the way if they're willing to. I had a realtor that I worked with in the Palm Springs area, and he loved managing jobs for me, which was great. So at the time, I lived an hour away, and so he would love to drop in, manage the guys. He would even help and bring in contractors that he knew of. He went and picked out um, tile for us at a certain you know, high-end tile store out in the Palm Springs area. I did over 10 deals with this guy, and he knew the more value he added by you know, getting involved with the rehab, um, the more deals we would do, and the easier he was making our lives. So um, definitely you can ask your listing agent if they're willing to be involved and stop in and check your um, progress and the quality of the work and all that. Uh, the worst they could do is say no, but if they're getting the listing, they want to be proud of the end result, and they would probably like to be involved, too. Some, um, one thing I wanted to bring up, too, is the difference between the older houses and newer houses. I mean, finally, in the 2000s, we started getting can lights or recessed lights in ceilings throughout homes. Builders charged a lot extra to put those in, but at least they became available in about 2000 or so, um, and to be pretty common and pervasive throughout entire homes, at least in Southern California. So when you're doing a flip, that would be something you'd want to probably add to your scope of work to make a home feel newer. Putting in um, a four-pack, they call it a four-pack or six-pack of lights, you know, that's just a group of six lights in a room, which is common. 
um, in that mobile home, we're doing a six pack of lights in the kitchen and a six pack of lights in the family room. We just want to really give lots of light. Buyers love lots of lights. So that is a main thing from old homes to new. Old style homes might have like one light over the kitchen sink, one of those hideous fluorescent boxes in there. The bedrooms would have nothing. They'd have one half hot where you're supposed to plug in a bedside lamp and that would be like all of the lighting you would have. We often will put in ceiling fans with lights on them, often like a four, if it's a big room, a four pack or four light ceiling fan. Um, also, we will put in, um, you know, really pretty chandeliers, sometimes even in surprising places like a closet or um, maybe in a bedroom where people wouldn't expect it to just add that wow factor. And then another thing we would do that makes a home feel more updated besides can lights, ceiling fans is putting new outlets and switches throughout the house. So a lot of our houses, I think from the 80s and older in Southern California had this, I think they called it ivory colored. It was kind of a, a yellowy looking plate and plug and they are not attractive. So if you switch all those out for bright white in a house, it makes a house feel newer. So try and update your switches and plugs. And that's something like you wouldn't necessarily think of and contractors wouldn't think of because they're already working. They'd say, oh, we don't need to replace them because they all work. Yeah, they work, but they're ugly. So part of the whole reason for the renovation is to enhance the beauty and make it feel more modern. So go ahead and take care of that. That I threw out there. My favorite paint color is Shady by Dunn Edwards. It's a gray beige. Also, Miner's Dust is popular. And then we do white trim around for the baseboards and the door frames and we do white ceilings. That's just what we've been doing for a few years and it's very popular still. I uh, wanted to address a couple more things, permits. We try to not do permits when we're doing cosmetic upgrades to houses. Many flippers don't pull permits for it because it slows the whole process down. I always instruct my contractor to build everything to code. Now that doesn't mean we retroactively change things in the house to meet current building code. But when they're putting, um, if we put in a new kitchen, we'll put in more plugs, we'll put in, you know, GFCI plugs, we will update things as they should be um, while we're doing it. So we try to avoid permits if you can, if you want to, if you're not comfortable with that, pull permits, just know it's going to take a lot more time and money. Um, termite work. That's a California thing. I don't know what other states um, hot buttons are necessarily, but termites are wood destroying um, insects that we have here and they fly house to house and they eat wood. So what we try to do is get a termite inspection to call out all the wood that will need to be replaced um, either before demo or during demo or right after when the house is all torn apart. It's easier to replace the wood, and it's usually exterior wood that needs replacing um, then before the house gets painted because you don't want them coming back and testing it. They test it with a ski pole and they poke the wood to see what's soft, what needs to be replaced. And when they do that, then you gotta go patch and paint um, your house again. So to avoid having to deal with that, do your termite inspection uh, either during demo or probably shortly after when everything's open and exposed. When you're at the end of your project, definitely walk the job with your contractor. Bring your roll of blue tape and mark with the tape any paint touch-ups that need to happen, 
or anything that they have missed or forgotten. I'll, I'll find things that are scraped up. They forgot to put door stops on. Uh, maybe they punched a hole in the wall from opening a door without a door stop. So go through and mark that and don't pay in full until the job is done in full. Um, I made that mistake before with a guy and he never came back and finished. And he'd done so many jobs for us and I thought he wouldn't do that to me, but he did. Needless to say, um, I will say I forgave him and tried to use him one more time. And then he messed up on that thing too. So I said, that's it. I'm done. So I broke up with him. No more relationship with him. Um, how do you find good contractors? As I get asked a lot, that is like the age old question. And that is one of the hardest parts of this business that many investors will tell you um, where you, you either usually get fast with not so good a work and or maybe fast and expensive or you get good and they might be slower or cheap and they might be slower so it's always a balancing act with contractors that you're having to constantly decide what you value more speed or quality or um, just how fast the whole thing is going to get done with your budget I now trust my contractor to choose all kinds of finishes so I don't have to go to the job site so much. So that's a benefit. Now I wish he were faster. He's not the fastest, but he does a pretty good job and I can trust him to make really smart, good decisions. I think um, he's always chosen good colors. He's chosen um, good tile, good light fixtures, good plumbing fixtures. And I often don't get involved in choosing any of that unless the home's over a million dollars. And then I step in and I'm choosing the bathtub and the light fixtures and the things that are really going to be um, important and a focal point in the house. How do you find good contractors? Through other investors, through other contractors. Sometimes at Home Depot early in the morning, you know, at 6 to 7 a.m., they're there shopping and picking up their stuff. Um, we picked up paint contractors and stucco contractors at El Pollo Loco, which is a fast food restaurant. You know, you see them in their um, work clothes and their painting um, gear. And you can also see them at job sites. Sometimes I've picked up contractors from if I'm driving around a neighborhood around one of my flips and I see other contractors there see a truck I'll stop and talk to them and get them that way but that's great that's, those are all options of how to find them um, just one final reminder do not pay your contractor ahead of time even when you first start the job California contract laws you um, they cannot require more than 10% deposit I'm not sure of other states but you can definitely google that it wouldn't be hard to find be careful not to get ahead. I even got burned on this just a few months ago because I trusted a guy. He came recommended from another investor, but he ended up burning me really badly and um, not completing the job. And I had paid him ahead of time because I felt bad for him. I get, you know, like, oh, I know, he, I know he's getting ahead, but he'll be good for it. He wasn't good for it. So be careful. Don't get burned because uh, it can really cost you a lot. With that, I hope you got a little bit of knowledge here from my past experiences and some of my mistakes and what I like to do and how I think about houses. And remember, you can go to hardhatholly.com forward slash 109 to pick up my contractor management 
payment spreadsheet where we manage the time and the money and the payments to the contractor. So go grab that. You can also get it by texting hard hat with no spaces, just hard hat to the number 38470. That's 38470. Text hard hat to 38470 and you can get this download as well as all my past downloads. Want to remind you if you're listening to this in January of 2019 that you can go sign up for my upcoming masterclass where I go into more depth and talk about the mentoring program that I have coming up in February beginning. If you would like to get your first house flip going and be part of a group and a team and have some accountability, which is huge in getting yourself going when it comes to real estate investing. Go sign up for that at hardhatholly.com forward slash flip. And you can go sign up for the masterclass and learn about the mentoring program there. Love to have you join us and be part of this group. So that's at hardhatholly.com forward slash flip. Thanks so much for listening, for watching, for contributing on our Facebook group and all that you guys do to help each other. I get really excited when I see people helping each other in our group. So with that, get out there, take some action. Hopefully you got some great ideas today and make it a great day. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show and let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com. 